0: The heavens tell about the glory of God, the sky shall that his hands create them. Day after day they speak about it, night after night they make it known. Yet their voice goes out into the whole earth, their words go out from one end of the world to the other. At the same time, their vo- the voice goes out. Their voice goes out into the whole earth their words go out from one end of the world to the other God had set up a tent in the heavens for the sun Lord may the words of my mouth and thoughts of my heart pleasing in your eyes you are my rock and redeemer When I was their age, I wouldn't have done that for a million (laughs) dollars. Wasn't that fantastic? I love to see kids like that. That was just great. (laughs) Thanks a lot, kids. Well, uh, we are beginning summer, and uh, just great to be back with you. had a great trip to Greece. Glad we're back and safe and sound. Thanks for praying for us. Got to lead two of the people in the group to the Lord, believe it or not, while I was over there. Didn't even know the Lord. Went on this trip to see Greece and hit Found Jesus, so that was a great trip for me. So I want to welcome those who are watching right now online, those who are watching by TV, those at our other campuses. We're one church in three locations, and uh, if you want to go online to CrossPointChurch.com and kind of check out the location closest to you. We'd love to have you visit one of our campuses. I, I read the other day about two little boys, and, and they were always getting into something. They were real mischief makers, and they're always getting into trouble. They they disrupted class in school. They picked on the other kids. They took things that didn't belong to them. And everybody tried to do something with them, the teacher, the principal, and their parents. And everybody was kind of exasperated. They were just at the end of their rope. So one day, the mother decided that she would ask her pastor to come and meet with these two boys and see if maybe he could talk some sense into them because they threatened them. That didn't work. They'd punish them. That didn't work. They'd kept them after school. That didn't work. So she decided, well, maybe we ought to take a spiritual approach. Let's see if that works. So he, he wanted these boys to know that, you know, God's always around and God's always watching. You're not going to get away with anything. And so he thought he'd figured out a way to really get to these boys for good. So he sat them down and he said, okay, boys, he says, I got a question. I want you to tell me the truth. And he looked at them and he said, now, now listen carefully and, I, and think about this before you answer it. He said, where is God? Well, the two boys just kind of sat there and they looked at each other. They weren't quite sure to answer. And So the pastor, now he's a little bit irritated. So he kind of raised his voice and he said, look, I know you boys know the answer to that question. Where is God? And now they were really frightened and and they just couldn't say anything. And the pastor jumped to his feet. He was so flustered. He said, for the last time, boys, I'm asking you, where is God? One boy jumped up and grabbed the other boy and they took off. He said, let's get out of here. God's missing. And they think we did it. (laughs) Now, there is a train of thought out there that you've led by a group, maybe you've heard of them, called the New Atheist. I don't know why they're called new, because there's nothing new about atheism it has been with us forever. But uh, to many scientists and many philosophers, they say God's missing, because God, they say, is not there. They deny that there's any, existence for any, any evidence for the existence of God. They accuse people like us of using God as a crutch. We just can't get through life's difficulties or cope with the problem of death. They say that God is a creation of our imagination that, that we use to try to make sense of the world and that, that we live in. And, you know, even as I'm speaking this message now, we've had this terrible tragedy, another terrorist attack in London, and we do need to pray for them. And so once again, you're gonna hear these people jump to their feet, and here's what they're gonna say. You say, look at this evil. Look at all the suffering in the world. Look at this sense killing you tell me there's a God? Well, number one, I'm absolutely convinced because of all the evil in the world there is not, but let's just assume there is. Then what kind of a God is this God? Because if there is a God, he's either a bad God that would let this happen, even though we could do something about it, or even worse, he's an impotent God, and the reason why he doesn't do anything about it is because he can't. Well, today, we're beginning a series I am really excited about and pumped about. We're calling it Playlist. Now, you know, if you are up on today's technology, you know what a playlist is. It's a list of video or audio files. Usually, it's music, and it's collected on a cell phone or a computer, and you can listen to it all the time and and as much as you want to. And I go to the gym and work out. I generally am listening to a, a, a playlist. You've got Spotify. You've got Pandora, you've got magic playlist. And 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 these these really are cool things because they, they can take all the music you like to listen to and they can organize it and 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 categorize it according to different genres or types of music. And you listen to whatever kind of music and whatever song you want to, anytime you want to. So here's what we decided to do. We have put together a playlist of some of the biblical songs that address some of these major questions about God and about evil and about suffering. Now, we call them Psalms. And whether you realize this or not, if you don't know very much about the Bible, Psalms were actually heaven songs. They were actually biblical truths that people put to music. And the song that we're going to actually listen to today was one written by a king named David. I think it was probably one of his favorite songs. I think it was one of his greatest hits, and it is actually one of the deepest songs that David ever wrote. And I've entitled, and I think I've, and I was thinking as I was doing this series, so what, what, what would David title this song? If this was a song you'd be playing on the radio or on your computer today, what would the title of this particular song be? And I think it would, a good title would be Here, There, and Everywhere. Because in reality, that is where you find God. If you look hard enough, you don't have to look long, you don't have to look hard, you will find God here and there and everywhere. Because this song says that's exactly where God is can be found. So if you brought a copy of God's Word or you wanna use one of your uh, electronic devices there, I want you to turn to the book of Psalms. We're gonna be, by the way, make it easy. We're gonna be in the book of Psalms for the month of June, the rest of this month. So I want you to turn to Psalms 19, all right? If you don't know where Psalms is, it's one of the easiest books to find. It's almost in the middle of the Bible. So you just go to the book of Psalms and we're in Psalm 19. Let me tell you about this Psalm, this particular song that David wrote. C.S. Lewis called this Psalm the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Now, the, the theme of the whole song is real simple. What the Psalm basically says is this, God has spoken loudly enough that everybody can hear him if they'll listen. And God has revealed himself and shown himself so clearly that everybody can see him if they're really looking for him. And the Psalm tells us you don't have to look far to find him. I was reading the other day, one of my favorite characters is Sherlock Holmes. I love to read Sherlock Holmes. I love the movies about Sherlock Holmes. And I was reading about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. They went on a camping trip. And so they they lay down for the night. They were about to go to sleep. And Holmes said, Watson, he said, I want you to look up into the sky and I want you to tell me what you see. Watson said, well, uh, Holmes, he said, I I see millions and millions and millions of stars. And Sherlock Holmes said, well, what does that tell you, Watson? Watson said, well, astronomically, it tells me there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. He said, theologically, it tells me there's a God up there and that God is great. And we're so small and we're so insignificant. He said, meteorologically, it tells me we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow. He looked at Sherlock Holmes. He says, what does it tell you? He said, it tells me we forgot to bring our tent. (laughs) Now, whether it's daytime or nighttime, here's my question to you. When you walk out of your house in the morning, what do you see? When you walk out of your house at night, what do you see when you just look up? And in the four stanzas of this psalm, David tells us that God has spoken to us where we can hear him, and God has revealed himself to us in four ways where we can see him, and not just know that he is, but who he is. David says, you can see God here, you can see God there, you can see God everywhere, because this is what God has done, and this is where we can see God. First of all, he says, we see God's glory in the skies. We see God's glory in the skies. Now, anybody who wants to see God doesn't have to look very far. I'm teaching my younger grandchildren right now this, this very lesson. I'm telling them, you know, when you look up, you don't, just, you don't just see clouds and blue sky and moons and suns and stars. You actually are looking at the evidence for God by the word. When the word for man in the Greek language is the word anthropos. Now, whether you know this or not, but you know what the word anthropos literally means? It literally means... One who looks up. I thought about this the other day. Has it ever occurred to you that we're born with an instinct to look up? For example, you get up in the morning and and, and maybe you're pulling your car out of your garage or maybe you gotta take the dog out. That's my job every morning, I have to take our dog out. So you you get up in the morning and, and, and you go outside. What's the very first thing you do when you go outside? You look up. You, you, you know, why do you do that? You know, you say, well, you say it's because of the weather. You want to see what kind of a day it, it is. Or, or when you walk outside at night, maybe you take your garbage out. That's my, another my job I've got. You take your garbage out, okay? Well, when I walk out at night, take my garbage out, I just, nobody has to tell me. I just naturally look up. I want to, is, is it clear? Are the stars shining? Is the moon glowing? Well, where did you learn to do that? Nobody taught you to do that. You didn't learn that at school. Nobody said, now, when you walk out in the daytime, you ought to look up. Or when you go out in the nighttime, you ought to look up. You're not taught to do that. That action is not coincidental. Here's why. It's just another way of God in his own very subtle way saying, hey, I am here. If you'll look, you can see me. If you'll listen, you can hear me. So David begins the Psalm this way. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now, I want to show you something. I thought this was kind of cool. This is a picture, and you may be familiar with this. Matter of fact, I've stayed in that hotel before. This is a picture of the largest billboard in the world. It is the most technically advanced HD digital billboard in the world. You know where it is. It spans a full city block in Times Square. It is visible from virtually every vantage point in Times Square. Listen, it has more than 25,000 square feet of digital digital canvas. Now, advertisers love it. You know why? Because it makes more than two million impressions every week and every day, and approximately 330,000 people Pass through Times Square, most of them tourists, while over 460,000 pedestrians walk through Times Square on its busiest day. Now, when you add that to nearly 500,000 cars that pass through Times Square and 400,000 employees who go by the square, you can imagine the awesome power of this billboard. It features the highest contrast LED display in the world. It has wide viewing angles, making sure you can see the display. And it doesn't matter. And I've seen it both in the daylight and at night. It is just as bright in the daytime as it is in the nighttime. So you can imagine why advertisers pay mint money to make sure they get on that billboard. Beautiful, unbelievable, fascinating. But David said, there's a billboard that puts that billboard to shame. He said, creation's billboard is God's billboard announcing 24/7, I am here. Let me give you some news. That billboard didn't just happen. There was not an explosion in a junkyard and one day it just showed up at Times Square. Anybody will tell you, you know what? Somebody conceived that billboard. Somebody built that billboard. And just like that billboard didn't just happen Neither did the heavens and neither did the skies and neither did the galaxies and neither did the planets. So David continues. He said day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sounds is heard, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In other words, David said You can hear God in the daytime. You can hear God in the nighttime. You can see God in the dark. You can see God in the light. He says, when you look up, you're not just seeing physical, natural beauty. You're seeing spiritual, supernatural glory. Now, there are two things about the skies that kind of clue us in immediately. There's got to be a great being up there. There's got to be a supreme power up there. There's got to be who we call God up there. Let me just tell you two things that tells me that has to be true. First of all, just think about the immensity of what's up there. Think about the immensity of what is out there. The word for skies back in verse 1 literally means the expanse of of the heavens, and what David was talking about, even though he didn't even really understand scientifically just what he was really saying, David was talking about the incredible size of the universe. Now, let me give you an illustration. How many of you remember this? Somebody tell me, how fast does light travel? Somebody tell me. How fast does it travel? Right, 186,000 miles a second. Say, how fast is that? It's about the speed of Atlanta traffic in the peach lane, okay? Now, traveling at the speed of light, listen to this. You would have to travel four and a half years going 186,000 miles a second just to get to the nearest star. Now, if you traveled 10 billion years at that speed, you still would not reach the end of the known universe. And now we know the universe is expanding every single day. Take the galaxy that we live in. Our galaxy contains 100 billion stars. Our universe contains more than 100 billion galaxies. The distance from one edge of an average galaxy to the other edge is approximately six hundred thousand thousand trillion miles. And yet, there are people who understand and they'll tell you, now look, somebody built that billboard in Times Square, but this billboard we call the galaxies, it just happened. It was just the luck of the draw. It was just by random choice, it just got here. There's not a divine builder in sight. But it's not just the immensity of the universe that tells me God is here and there and everywhere. Think about the complexity of the universe that we live in. Go back to what David said in verse two. He said, day after day, they pour forth speech and night after night, they reveal knowledge. Now the word there for pour forth, it literally means to gush out. And what David was saying was the skies are furiously gushing out evidence like a waterfall every day. There's a God up there. He is a real God. He is a powerful God. He is a creating God. Day follows day, and night follows day, and night follows night, and day follows night. And he says there's this order, there's this symmetry, there's a harmony to the universe that can only be from the work of a divine hand. I was reading the other day, I was on the airplane and I had a book in my Kindle. And I was reading and I I didn't know this. There's a book that just came out. Some scientists did a little study about this. I don't know if they are, are believers or not. But listen to this. There are at least 25 different characteristics of the universe that are now recognized as precisely fixed. And we now know if only one of those 25, not two, not three, not four, not five, if only one of those 25 different characteristics were off by just slight amounts. We wouldn't be here. Life could not exist. We would instantaneously die. They also said, there are 38 characteristics of our galaxy and our solar system that also have to fall within very precise, narrowly defined ranges for life of any kind to exist anywhere. So David goes on to continue and he says this. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now, David's obviously talking about the sun and the moon. And see, we now know some things about the sun and the moon that David didn't know. For example, the moon is approximately 240,000 miles away from the earth. The sun is about 93 million miles away from the earth. Here's what we now know. If the moon was just 100 miles closer to Earth than it is, or if the sun was just 100 miles closer to the Earth than it is, life on planet Earth would be impossible. Just 100 miles. Now, that's the power, take the power of the sun. Every square yard of the sun, I'm talking about just a square yard, you know, so three feet, three feet, three feet. Listen to this, every square yard of the sun is constantly emitting 130,000 horsepower or the equivalent of 458 cylinder automobile engines, and That's just one square yard. And so what David is saying is look, you can see God's power and reality in the dark, maybe perhaps even more clearly than you can in the light. Take the power of the moon. We know how the moon works, you learned this as a kid. Every day, the gravitational pull of the moon takes the oceans of the earth and lifts them up. Millions upon millions of tons of water is quietly lifted into the air anywhere from 10 feet to 43 feet. Why is that such a big deal? Well, because of the moon's exact distance from the earth, tides come and tides go. Now, you may not think it's a big deal when you go to the beach to see those waves coming in. Did you know this? Your life depends on those waves coming in. And your life depends on those waves going out. Because of those tides, waves break upon the shore and as those waves break upon the shore, they aerate the ocean. They provide uh, uh, oxygen for the plankton, which is the very foundation of the food chain of the world. Because without the plankton, there wouldn't be oxygen. Without oxygen, there would not be humanity. So what has happened? The moon is just the right size. It was placed at just the right distance so the tides would come in and out on time and they would clean up the oceans and the shores of our continents, making life possible. In other words, here's what David is really saying. If you look up and you can't see God, it's not God's problem, it's your problem. By the way, for those of you who are football fans and those of you who are college football fans and those of you who are Alabama college football fans, do you know what Clemson and the moon have in common? They both can stop the tide. Now, I agree with Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said, I can understand how someone might look down at the earth and say there is no God, but how can you look up at the heavens and say there is no God? David said in his beautiful song, you can see God's glory in the sky." but then he says something else. He said, we see God's guidance in the scriptures. You look up, you can see God's glory in the skies. David said, you open this book, you'll see God's guidance in the scriptures. Now here's what David does, the song shifts. Now we go from God's word to God's, uh, God's world to God's word. You look up at the skies, you see the power of God, but then you look into the scriptures and you see the person of God. And the next stanza of this song tells us not only how we can see God's power in the sky, but how we can hear God's voice in the scriptures. Because six times, David uses this phrase, Of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord. Six times he tells us in this song, scripture is the word of the Lord. So every word in this stanza tells us what the Bible is and what the Bible does. Well, what is it? What does it do? He goes down and says this in verse seven. The law of the Lord, he's talking about scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now, the word there for perfect is a beautiful word in the Hebrew language. It literally means whole. It means complete. It means lacking nothing. In other words, here's what David was saying. You wanna know how to live a life that's blessed? You wanna know how to live a life that's full of happiness and joy? You don't know how to behave right? Do you parents wanna know how to teach your kids to live the kind of life they ought to live? David said, it's real simple. It's all found right here. Tells you everything you need to know. He says, it's trustworthy. He says, it'll tell you everything you know on how to behave. It'll also tell you what to believe. He said, God's word makes wise the simple. You won't find equivocation, double speak, footnotes, or amendments. It tells you the truth. It tells you the whole truth. It tells you nothing but the truth. Then he says this. He says, the precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light. To the eyes. In other words, he says God's word is right. That word there, by the way, the word precepts, it literally means to order or it means to direct. What David was saying was this book is kind of like a roadmap. And he says, when you just follow this roadmap, it will always help you find the best way to go. It'll always help you find the right way to go. It will show you all you need to know to see to walk the right path in your life. And then you notice he says, the commands of the Lord are radiant. What does that mean? He's talking about the shining of a light. He says, God's word will shine a light when you're in the dark, So you can make sure you're on the right path and you stay on the right path because God did not create us to wander around, feeling our way in the dark. Should I live this way? Should I live this way? Is this right? Is that right? Is this wrong or that wrong? Can I be sure about this? Can I be sure about anything? That is not what God wants us to do. He says, God has written a book where we can know exactly where to go. We can know exactly what to do. We can know exactly how to think. We can know exactly what to believe. We can know exactly how to behave. In other words, we have the flashlight of God's truth to guide us, and therefore we ought to be shining that light so that we can guide others. And then he says this in verse nine. He says, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. Now listen to this. He said, the book that I'm preaching from right now, he said, it is firm. And that word literally means fixed. In other words, he says, what you read in this book is number one, always relevant. And number two, it's always reliable. It never changes. It will tell you what is right. And whatever it says is right is always right and it will never be wrong. It is firm. It's not going anywhere. God's word is a rock that cannot be broken. It's a sound that cannot be silenced. It's a fire that cannot be quenched. It's a light that cannot be uh, extinguished. In other words, God's word, he says, doesn't just inform. He says God's word transforms. And it's the virtues, the wor- virtues of the Bible that tells us about the value of the Bible. Because listen to what he says about the scripture. He says, they, that is talking about the truth we find in God's word, he said, they are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now, back in Bible days, gold and honey represented the most valuable objects and the finest food. You know, I, I really believe this, and I don't know whether you get this sense or not, But I've lived a pretty long time and I've seen a lot of changes, a lot for the good, some for not so good. But I'm going to tell you what I really think about the times that we're living in. I'm becoming more and more convinced that we know the price of everything but the value of nothing. We know the price of everything but the value of nothing. Let me give you an illustration. You probably don't know what that picture is, but uh, if you were close enough, it says DKNY Delicious. Let me tell you about uh, this picture. This is a picture of the most expensive bottle of perfume that's ever been sold in the history of the world. In 2011, DKNY unveiled this golden apple-shaped million-dollar bottle of perfume. You heard me right. It is a million-dollar bottle Or perfume, as a matter of fact, you ready for this? The bottle was more valuable than the perfume. That bottle is 14 carat yellow and white gold. It contains 183 yellow sapphires, 2700 white diamonds, a 1.6 carat turquoise tourmaline, a 7.18 carat oval sapphire, 15 pink diamonds, four rose cut diamonds and a three carat oval cut ruby A four carat pear shaped rose cut diamond, and a 2.4 carat yellow canary diamond. It contains 2,909 precious stones that have been placed in such a way, if you'll notice, it replicates the New York City skyline. If you have it, donate it to our church. (laughs) Can I tell you something? John three sixteen is more valuable than that bottle of perfume. Amen. God so loved the world, gave his only son that whoever believes in him never perish, but have eternal life. Far more valuable than the most expensive perfume in the world. We can see the power of God in the skies. We can see the person of God in the scriptures. But then David says this, he says, we see God's goodness in the soul. We see God's goodness in the soul. Now, there's another way that God speaks to every human being, and that's in their heart, in their soul. Listen to what he says in verse 12. He says, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Now, what's David saying? David's recognized something we all know. David says, you know, I'm a king and I'm a good king, but I am far from perfect. God is good and God wants me to be good. And God knows that the best life is the good life. But God also knows that sin to the soul is what kryptonite is to the Christian. Sin to the soul is what kryptonite is to Superman. So God has put within each of us what we call a conscience. Everybody's born just knowing there are just certain things that we're just born knowing are wrong. Nobody has to tell you murder is wrong or stealing is wrong or lying is wrong. And we know that not only because of God's guidance in the scriptures, he tells us it's wrong because of God's goodness in the soul because this is what God's done for all of us. He has put a moral alarm clock in every one of us that goes off to let us know that not only we've done something wrong, but it lets us know that we've done something wrong against God. See, here's the difference. Listen, a courtroom can convict you of a crime, but only God can convict you of sin. A courtroom can convict you of a crime, but only God can convict you of sin. That's why there are murderers that will plead innocent even though they're guilty. And they'll declare they're innocent even after they're found guilty. And when they go to prison and serve their sentence, they'll swear to the day they die. They are innocent, even though they're guilty, why? Because even though a court can convict them of their crime, only God can convict them of their sin. And see, you can't get right with God until you first realize you're wrong with God. And you will never know that you're wrong with God unless God reveals it to you. And that's what God does in the soul. So what does God do? Well, God helps us detect our sin. Listen to what he says again. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden thoughts. Now, let me tell you something about you that I, I hate to tell you, and I don't want to make you feel bad about yourself. I just have to be honest with you. How many of you have faults? Would you just raise your hand? If you don't raise your hand, you got a big one. Can I, can I let you on a secret? You not only have faults, we not only have faults, we have hidden faults. We have thoughts we're glad nobody knows about except us and God. And can I let you in on just another little secret since we're in the neighborhood? (laughs) Beginning with this guy right here. I'm gonna use some very poor grammar and teach you some very great theology. Ready? They ain't nobody as good as they think they are. Beginning with me. I don't know how good you think you are, but they ain't nobody as good as they think they are. And at times, All of us are worse than others think we are. Now, we can detect some obvious sins, but God can detect all sins. And you know, we've all had this experience of having people sometime in our life be honest enough and let us know of a weakness we never realized we had before. You know, do you realize you interrupt people a lot? Well, no, I didn't realize that. Do you realize you kind of are are, are impatient? No, I didn't realize that. You know how that kind of works? You know, you, 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 you got these hidden faults. Well, only God can detect our sin. But listen to this, only God can correct our sin. Only God can forgive our hidden faults because when you do something wrong, others can forgive you. You might even be able to forgive yourself, but you're never fully forgiven, you're never freely forgiven, and you're never finally forgiven until God forgives you. And that's why David says, "'Lord, correct me from my hidden faults.'" So only God can detect our sin. Only God can correct our sin. And then David said, only God can protect us from sin. He says in verse 13, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. In other words, only God on a daily basis can make sure you're not led into temptation. And you don't fall into temptation. And when you are tempted, you don't give in to that temptation. As a matter of fact, let me give you this mathematical equation. This would be good for you to write down. This would be good for you to write down. Let me tell you what sin is. Sin equals an undetected weakness, a hidden fault, plus an unexpected temptation. Didn't know it was coming. Didn't see it coming. Plus an unprotected life. I have seen, and I don't say this, I say it with a broken heart, and except for the grace of God, it would be me. But I've seen my share of great pastors and great men of God fall flat on their face. I've seen my share of pastors and men of God who really did love the Lord, they really meant well, they didn't get up one day and decide they were gonna destroy their marriage and destroy their ministry and hurt their church, but they fell into sin. And almost without exception, when I've talked to some of these men, and I have, and I've examined, how did this happen? How in the world did you let this happen? It's always the same equation. They had an undetected weakness, they had an unexpected temptation, and they had an unprotected life. So if you wanna live the kind of life that, it, that keeps you from sin, you need a God who can detect your sin and correct your sin and protect you from sin. That's why, by the way, a guilty conscience is evidence of the goodness of God because he wants us to live a life that is free from the one thing that pollutes life and poisons life, and that is sin. Again, he knows the good life is the best life, and he lets us know how to live the good life and how to reject the bad life. You see, when you look, you can see God's glory in the skies. You can see God's guidance in the scriptures. You can see God's goodness in the soul. God, thank you that you give me a healthy conscience. Thank you for that moral alarm clock in my heart to let me know when I'm about to step into something I don't need to get into. But then David has one more stanza in the song. He says, we see God's grace in the Savior. Now, what's this? Listen to how the Psalms end. Here's how this song ends. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. He could have stopped right there. The song would have been just fine. But he adds this, my rock and my redeemer. Now I want you to think about this. You talk about a beautiful song. David says, even the worst of us even at our worst moments, even in those times we're glad that our spouse and our kids and our best friends don't see what we're thinking or hear what we're saying or notice how we're acting. He says, even in those worst times in our life, when we are at our absolute rock bottom worst, he says, we can come into the presence of the God that created all of this and we can be pleasing to him. And our words can be acceptable to Him. Why? Because He is our rock and He is our Redeemer. Quick question you're smart people. Who do you think He's talking about there? He's talking about Jesus, He's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock of ages. And Jesus, by dying on the cross, became the redeemer of the human race. Now, God spoken in many ways. He's spoken in the skies, he's spoken in the scriptures, he's spoken in the soul, but you know what? God saved his best word when he spoke through Jesus. He's never spoken more loudly. He's never spoken more clearly. He's never spoken more plainly than when he spoke through Jesus. Because you know why? In Jesus, we discover all of God we can know. And in Jesus, we have all of God that we need. We've got everything that we need. The atheist philosopher, Bertrand Russell, you may have heard of him. Bertrand Russell, brilliant man, a brilliant fool, but a brilliant man. He was once asked this question. If you do meet God after you die, what will you say to him to justify your unbelief? It's a great question. If you do meet God, you're an atheist, you don't believe there's a God. If you do meet God after you die, what will you say to him to justify your unbelief? Bertrand Russell said, You live for this? You're talking about some arrogant hubris. He said, I will tell him. He did not give me enough evidence. Are you ripping kidding me? Are you kidding me? I agree with the early church leader, Augustine. Augustine was once confronted by a pagan who showed him his idol. He said, Augustine, here is my God. Where is your God? And Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God. Oh, not because there is no God to show, but because you have no eyes to see him. My mentor, Dr. Rogers, I love the way he put it. He said an atheist can't find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. Can I tell you what you see every day of your life? You see what you're looking for. You look for God, you'll see. You don't look for God, you won't. You believe there's a God, you'll find him. You don't believe there's a God, you won't. Jim Irwin was one of the astronauts who went to the moon. And after Jim Irwin got back, he was writing about what he saw and what he experienced when he was up there on the moon And he said this, he said, when I looked out and saw the earth about as big as a little marble, I thought, (laughs) how big am I? I'm just a speck of dust, if that big, compared to the universe. Yet, this little speck has the capacity to know God, to know the one who holds the universe, to know his love and have his direction. For the first time I saw, felt God's love for the earth, I realized then that God loved that little blue marble, that little blue planet. He loved all the billions of people on it and he loved me. I realized at that moment that my relationship with Jesus Christ was the most precious thing I had. Erwin was right. Whether you're on the earth and you're looking up at the moon or You're on the moon looking back on the earth. God is here. God is there. And God is everywhere. And you can meet him at a cross and an empty tomb where he is ready to meet you anytime. Let's pray together.